May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for being here today. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from the gospel, the parable of the, of the prodigal son. The big idea is it is never too late to come home to God. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, it is never too late to come home to God. Uh, this is called the parable of, parable of the prodigal son, but a lot of people want to call it the parable of the loving father. Uh, three characters in this story. There's the father, the younger son, the older son. I'm just going to deal with the first two today. Older son might come at another time. Um, the impetus for this uh, parable was this. At the beginning of Luke 15, where this parable appears, we read, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Received means welcomes. Jesus was associating with, receiving, welcoming, sitting with, eating with, touching, going to their homes, those people that we have nothing to do with. We're the good people, and those people you have nothing to do with. And what's he doing? He can't keep his hands off him, so to speak. And as a result of this, Jesus tells three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. To say that, that God always is looking out for his own. That it is never too late to come back to him. In some ways, I think we're all a bit like the prodigal son. There are times when we know God, but we're far from him. And I think those are the times when we kind of know about God, but we don't have, we're not in that right relationship with him, and we step outside of that, of God's will, and we move into the far country. Any, any time you're one step out of God's will, you are in the far country. So our story today helps answer the question, how can I get back? Very quickly, there's a father. He has two sons. The younger son says, give me my inheritance. He goes far away. He blows the whole thing. There's a famine in the land. He winds up feeding the pigs, comes to his senses, goes back, and the father receives. Any questions? Good. So how did he get there? How did he get to the pig pen? First of all, he was selfish. Give me my money now. When he says that to his father, what he's saying is, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance before you pass, but I wish you were dead. Forget you, forget my brother, forget my reputation. Give me, give me, give me. Remember the essence of sin is I want what I want when I want it. I want what I want when I want it. It's all about self-interest. And self-interest, like the definition of evil, is evil doesn't care about the truth. It is only motivated by self-interest rather than caring about others. And it can be people 
individuals, it can be institutions, it can be corporations, it can be political parties, it can be a lot of different things who don't care about their family, their friends, customers, patients, um, investors, it doesn't matter. People who are motivated only by self-interest tend to be evil. Self-interest is not a bad thing. Capitalism is based on self-interest, but in a good, godly, moral way. I was thinking about this as I was, as, as I was hearing about the mayor of New York's latest pronouncement. And he said, you know, this vaccine thing is just, we got to make some changes because New York's got to get on with life. So then he said, if you are a professional athlete or basically a Broadway performer, you don't have to be vaccinated in order to carry on with your livelihood. So Kyrie Irving, who's the star of the Brooklyn Nets, can now play at home. He's not vaccinated, so he couldn't play at home, but he could play on the road. Opposing team members, team players who came to New York, if they weren't vaccinated, could play in New York, but Kyrie Irving couldn't because he lives in New York. If you're a nurse or a fireman or a policeman or a teacher who's in New York, you still have to get vaccinated. Oh, yeah. Self-interest. Hmm. Baseball season starts in two weeks. The owner of the Mets donated a million and a half dollars to the mayor's mayoral campaign. Gee, how would you like to, this is how bad it was. Okay, this is how bad it got for that decision on his part. The view took him to task. Think about that. Rarely do I agree with the view on anything, but I agree with him on that one. Self-interest, and we see it everywhere. This is part of his problem. He acted hastily. He went to a far country. Again, one step outside of the will of God. For him, it was a, it was a far country. It was outside of Israel because there were pigs. You will not find pigs in Israel. So he was outside of the territorial limits. In our case... We don't even need to leave home to be in a far country. It can be right where we live. Remember the Bible in four words. Love God, love others. That's the will of God. Am I acting in a loving way toward you, God? And am I acting in a loving way toward people, others? And when I'm not, when, I, when I'm not doing that, I am outside of your will. And that's where he found himself. Third thing is he wasted all he had. Prodigal does not mean evil. Prodigal is spending money freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. Okay? How many pairs of shoes do you really need? Hmm? 53? There's a, there's a number, 53. I thought about this the other day. I was in my closet and I looked up at a shelf where I've got shoes. Probably have eight pairs of shoes. And I think I wear three. And now some of you ladies are going, only eight pairs of shoes? You know? Or I think of um, Mike Tyson. Remember Mike Tyson, the heavyweight champion? 
worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Had quite an entourage for himself. They loved Mike. One day Mike went into, took the entourage into Tiffany's in New York, and they closed up while Mike and his entourage were in there. And Mike said, get whatever you want. This is the kind of thing he did. This was prodigal living. And a million dollars later, the entourage walked out of the store. And Mike found himself in a far country with a famine, no friends, broke later on in life. And he found out what it was like to be the prodigal son. As long as he had money, everybody loved him. And he had no care and, and had no sense about what he was doing there. He separated himself from every relationship that was important to him. He separated himself from his father, from his brother, from his friends, from his past, from his future. I don't need anybody. I always ask that question. Do you have somebody in your life that will tell you the truth? At least one person. I am blessed with several. But a lot of times people don't want to tell you the truth because there's they don't want to disrupt the relationship, so they just keep it to themselves. And they don't say what needs to be said. Nobody said anything to him. He cut himself off from the people in his life that were most important to him. He made a series of bad choices. Sin always works that way. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Takes you farther than you keeps you longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay. Choices have consequences. But sometimes we don't think that in the heat of the moment. I think of the West Point cadets over spring break, and I say this if it was Naval Academy midshipmen, but six West Point cadets were somewhere on spring break, and they all wound up in the hospital because they had taken something that was laced with fentanyl. They didn't know it was fentanyl, but it was. And fentanyl can be very, very deadly. Now, I don't know what kind of a high they thought they'd experience by taking whatever it is they took, but it wasn't worth a trip to the hospital because of fentanyl. I guarantee it. Young people have to make choices. Should I really get in the car after he's had all that to drink? Hmm. What will they think of me? If I don't, will they call me a chicken, weenie, loser? I'll just get in the car. And then bad things happen. Choices have consequences. There's a famine in the country. Your sin will always find you because there will be a famine. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. That's called the colic for purity as we start the service so that we're, all of our cards are on the table. We're not hiding anything. You can't hide anything from God anyway. I can't hide anything from God anyway. He knows everything. So it's not like we're doing this in secret, whatever it is we're doing. He knows. In the end, he ended up with the pigs because your choices always catch up with you. 
When I went to the hospital, I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, and I gave last rites to somebody, and it turned out to be the wrong guy. I should have followed up. I don't know what happened. I wound up with this woman's brother, found him, and he's all chatty. He's not an old man that's dying. He's dying because of decades of drinking and his liver is dead. And he realizes what he's done, that there's really no way back at this point in his life. Choices have consequences. Sometimes it's deadly. Sometimes it ruins relationships. Sometimes it ruins finances. Sometimes it ruins health. Sometimes it ruins trust, whatever it might be. But sin, unrepentant of, certainly has consequences. So now, the way back home. First, there was an awakening. It says he came to himself. He woke up. He woke up to reality, where he was and what the situation was. He had actually turned away from living water and had been drinking out of the sewer. Think about that. He's turned away from what was good in his life, and now he's drinking out of the sewer. He was hungry, and he couldn't even get enough to eat. He couldn't even get what the pigs were eating. They would feed them carob seeds, and he couldn't get anybody to give them what the pigs were eating. So we finally say, I can't, I can't go on like this. This is crazy. What was I thinking? I never expected it to get like this. And hopefully when we realize that and come to ourselves, it's not. Second, there was repentance. He said, I'll go back to my father. I will turn around. Metanoia means to turn around. It also means to have a change of mind. So he, he says, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back home. And I, I'm going to think differently. I'm a different person change your mind, it leads to a changed life. The way you think, the way you receive, the way you process things. You don't, you don't react the way typically you might think people would. I was sharing with the Bible study. I was down at a conference in Lakeland over the weekend. I got there Friday and I spent Friday in a hotel and we had a meeting and then on Saturday we had a meeting and I came back. So I get an email saying there's, a, there's at the hotel, Comfort Inns and Suites, there's five reservations. So I go in and I tell them my name. And they said, you don't have a reservation. There's no reservations. I said, really? Maybe it's under another name. And I gave the name of the guy that made the reservations. Oh, all those reservations were canceled. I went, interesting. I'm, for some reason, I'm just not excited about it. I'm not like, oh my gosh, what are you crazy? What are you doing? So I called the guy who made the reservations, and he said, no, I canceled two of them because one of our guys had open heart surgery by Michael Carmichael, who's also on the board. So they're not here, but you three have a reservation. And I said, okay. So I put him on the phone with her on one ear, and she's got her manager on the other ear. And she's back and forth, and, they're tr and the manager is saying, they were canceled. So I get the phone back. She's trying to figure something out, and I'm doing this. I'm really fine. She's, she's crinkling her brow. That, that could be bad. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I see a smile forming. That could be good. She's putting her glasses on now. She's looking. She, wants, she can't hear me. She wants clarity. Oh, I heard her say okay. 
if we're moving in the right direction, this is going to be fine. And I got my room. So then I'm up in the second floor where my room is, and I, I open up the window, and I see our president, Steve Ewing, who we go to Honduras with, he got out of his truck, and he's coming in. I said, I'll go down and say hello to Steve. So I walk out of my room. The, the elevator is, like, right there. I punch the button. I'm in the door. I'm down, and he's already in. And I asked him later what happened. He said, I said my name, and she just shoved me the key, and off I went. I'm not doing that again. But I could have been a jerk, you know. What do you mean I don't have a reservation? I know we're made. What are you talking How incompetent can you be? I mean, there are people that would react like that. That is not a godly way to react, you know. You just hire a lawyer and you sue them without them knowing it. But you get my point. Third, there was Honesty. He said, Father, I have, he's rehearsing this speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He owned up to his choices. He didn't blame anybody but himself. He didn't blame his father. Why did you give me the money? You knew I was going to blow it. He didn't blame his brother. He's always picking on me. I can't stand it around here. I had to get out. Didn't blame it on the women. They, they just tricked me. I thought they liked me and loved me. I didn't know. Didn't blame his friends. It was ownership. These are choices that I made. I own the consequences of my choices. Very, very important in this process. And then there was humility. He said he was no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired hand. There's a difference in those days between a hired hand and a slave. The slave was bought, owned by the family. They were like a member of the family in a way. Hired hand was a day laborer. Could hire him, fire him, here today, gone tomorrow, who cares? He didn't even think he was worthy to be a slave. I'll go for the hired hand on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's all I deserve. If you're willing to take me back, I know it won't be as a son, but maybe as a hired hand. No preconditions, nothing, just I'm at your mercy. And then there's the father's welcome. Imagine what the son is thinking as he's going home. What will my father say? Will he reject me? Will he receive me? Will he curse me? What will daddy do when he sees me? All anxiety, as you know, is due to uncertainty, so he's got to be very, very anxious as he's heading home under these conditions. So then at a distance, the father sees him, and he runs. Apparently, he had been looking for him, and when he sees him, he just takes off running. Older men in that culture did not run. But he's running for two reasons. One is because he sees the son, who was lost and now is found, was dead and is not alive, and he's running to be with him, but he's also running to protect him. Because as he's making his way through the village, if people see him, they know what he's done. They've cursed his father. They could stone him to death. The Bible had said, if you, he who curses his parents must die, must be stoned. And he knew that their son was at a risk of being stoned as he made his way through the village. So he runs to him to protect him. He throws his arms around him to protect him. And that's our God. Throws his arm around us to protect us. He died for my sins. 
and he kisses him. The verb there, the verb tense, means kept on kissing him. The son maybe was frustrated because he couldn't finish his speech that he had rehearsed all the way home. He doesn't even start it. Five signs of the father's welcome. The kiss, the sign of forgiveness. The robe, the sign of honor. The ring, the sign of authority and sonship. The sandals, the sign of freedom. Slaves went barefoot. And the feast, the sign of the joyful welcome. So how much does God love me? He loves me enough to let me go. He loves me enough to help me, let me hit bottom. And he loves me enough to welcome me back. Once Lincoln was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners when they had finally been defeated and had returned to the Union of the United States, the questioner expected that Lincoln would take a dire vengeance, but he answered, I will treat them as if they had never been alive. And he did. I will treat them as if they had never been alive. And finally, the way back to the Father is always through the far country. Where is this far country? The far country is anywhere where you are outside of the will of God. That's all. The far country may be for you like it was for the prodigal son, deep in sexual sin, deep in wild living. But for most of us, it's not going to be that. The far country is any place where your life seems empty and you look up and say, is that all there is? And the father says, of course not. Come home. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Come home. Are you weary? Come home. Are you tired of life as you're living? Come home. Have you wandered away from God? Come home. The first step is always the hardest. It's also the step that brings you halfway back. So many of us need to respond. Perhaps you're away from God. You didn't mean to be mean for that to happen, but it has happened. So you need to come back. I want to give this invitation to you. If you feel that you have drifted away from God, this is the day and this is the place for you to come home. Amen. Let's watch this.
is never too late to come home to God.